It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Yikes! The Richard Spassoff Show is brought to you by Audible. And you can find us on our website at angelicmedium.org. That's right. You're tuned in to Paranormal UK Radio Network, a.k.a. pokeradio.com, P-A-U-K radio.com. I also like to give a big thanks to HC Universal Network. Thank you, Christopher Jordan. Also, FringeRadioNetwork.com. That is FringeRadioNetwork.com. Thank you, Johnny. And TalkStream Live, along with Paranormal Radio. Thank you, Tom Donahue. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Hi, I'm Betty White. Keepers of the Wild is a nonprofit animal sanctuary that specializes in rescuing and caring for these wonderful creatures. The founder, Jonathan Kraft, and these wild animals have established a loving bond. To watch them interact is fascinating, and it's an experience you'll never forget. The staff and volunteers have dedicated their lives to give these animals a new start and a home where they can live out their lives in dignity. They also provide the community and children with an educational program where you can learn and help preserve our precious wildlife. 
and the environment that we must all share. So listen to the call of the wild and support Keepers of the Wild, a truly fine organization. You could find their website at keepersofthewild.org. You're listening to the Richard Spassoff Show on Paranormal UK Radio Network. Take two. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richard Spassoff Show Show with uh, my friend, co-host, Jason Faust. Hey, I pronounced his name right from one time. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Jason is a paranormal investigator, and he is uh, involved in his, what, Heartland, how, how do you say it? Heartland Paranormal. Heartland Paranormal. Now, Jason, between you and me, I'm more... Paranormal could be put on hold. I'm scared of all these uh, vaccines they're putting out now. (laughs) How do you feel about that? (laughs) Uh, Well, the vaccines, I'm I'm hopeful with that. I just would like to get life back to normal. Yeah, but one company... Um, they're having, well, they tested a certain amount of people, about 20% of them had severe uh, issues from what I understand. I hate to be that 23, 23%. Well, I, I don't know. I guess I hope that before they really start putting it out, I mean, I hope that it's tested and refined before they put it out to the masses um and i don't want to get real political and stuff but like that uh hydrochloroquine yeah um you know they bounced back and forth on that but like when that first came out you heard about that couple yes. in arizona yes and they didn't actually take the hydrochloroquine they took uh hydrochloric uh, it was it was chloroquine phosphate which was to uh, alleviate parasites within fish. Ooh. And so they didn't even have the COVID. They just wanted to get ahead of the game. Yeah. And as far as I know, I, I never heard a follow up. The, the husband had passed shortly after it killed him pretty quick. And then she was in ICU for a while. Oh I never did hear a follow up that she passed away, but you know, I, they throw out the names of these medicines, you know, and then people get, you know, they're they're already afraid. Yeah. And then, you know, they get their hands on something. They're like, oh, this is the one. Well, it wasn't the one. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, the thing is, especially during this uh, pandemic 
is to re- try to remain calm. It's hard for people to do that, I understand. Um, <laughs> but it's going to take a while. Where are, are you guys in the second roundabout of having everything closed as well? Well, no. Here in, in Nebraska, it's it's there's it's so weird because our numbers are going back up. Yeah. But they're working on opening things back up. Not and good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not good at all. And um, there are a lot of people who are afraid at the moment. Um, my wife always like I she's always like praising me and stuff. And I don't know. I guess I I had you know one of them childhoods that I wasn't I wasn't a bad kid or whatever I I was a naughty let's let's call it that naughty okay, kid. Okay. <laughs> um, so I I was I was used to chaos you know I I lived in chaos same here but, same here so so you get used to it you know how to handle shit you know mm-hmm. stuff sorry mm-hmm. I didn't mean to curse on shit is okay um, okay <laughs> <laughs> we just can't say those seven words that George Carlin said <laughs> right you're not gonna pull me shoot as just shit with two O's right but, exactly <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, like when the, when our first close down happened, my wife was off working from home uh, for like two full months, and she watches the news constantly. She watches the numbers and everything, and her anxiety gets up. And I understand that, and I can cater to those needs. And I have friends that are the same way, um, but I've been in the midst of it the entire time. You know, my day job I work with adults with. Uh, physical and developmental disabilities. And so I'm in the healthcare field. Um, so I'm, I, I just go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. What's frustrating with me is that we're, we're back into the, um, the orange, uh, not the severe high range. There's the low, moderate, high and severe, uh, brackets. And we're back into the, uh, the high right right and you're still looking at wanting to open stuff up rather than back up a little bit to try to get the numbers down and so that's what's frustrating i know well with that being said we don't have to worry about the paranormal we're all going to be ghost spirits walking (laughs) around the earth (laughs) oh i'm knock on wood that you're like not going to jinx us (laughs) well if you were a spirit right now what would you be doing well, I'd probably be sitting with my twiddling my thumbs because there's not a lot of people out there investigating, you know. A lot of people are being very cautious and uh you know, I <laughs> I've always said if once I hit uh you know, the spirit realm, I I'm going to be a naughty little spirit, you know. I'm <laughs> I'm going to be that spirit that rings a doorbell as soon as somebody sits down to take a crap, you know. And, uh, I'm going to wait till 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 a couple gets intimate and it start dinging that doorbell. I'm going to I'm going to be the Tommy knocker, you know. <laughs> hey, well, at least you're keeping them busy and you have something to do in your spare time, right? <laughs> right. There you go. Oh boy, I tell you, it is so strange right now. But, uh, and like the paranormal isn't strange, and we're talking about that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it 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 is. It's it, you when you work in the paranormal, you're already in a in a strange setting, and then the regular world. I don't want to say normal. There is no normal. I know. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, the regular world just like literally like flips upside down. You feel like you're in a in a sci-fi movie right now. Yeah, you know the the regular world is. You think a lot. Now, do you feel that some of the people in the paranormal field kind of attract the spirits to them, which causes more trouble on Earth? Wow, that's actually a good question. But uh, I, I, I do believe in people being spirit magnets. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are people who either have really like a high positive energy or a very like like high negative energy, mm-hmm. um, and they they bring in those spirits, they bring in the activity. Um, as far as it causing more trouble, I don't believe that. Um, <clears throat> because excuse me, I believe. Yeah, that energy gets heightened when these people are around, and for whatever reason, they're almost like a conduit. You know, they they do bring out that stuff because of their personal energy. Um, but I don't believe, like, as far as, like, as you stated, like, cause trouble in our conscious world. That's what I believe you know? in the sense. And the more de- demons opening the door for e- evil to come in here more. But there's still more good, okay? Right. And now that goes back to your first question, though. Okay, is and and you were saying, you know, do uh, uh, your repeat your first question about do people like? I hardly remember my last question. (laughs) 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 Okay, do okay. Try to help me. I'll have to go back. You were saying do like people do people do this just to pass the time or whatever like that, Mm -hmm. and and I'll. The first two type of investigators, I think, to a point, do do that just past the time. And if you're not knowledgeable in this field, and you're not um, you're not savvy in in what to do and how to do it, um, then yes, I believe that you can uh, open doors, you can uh, open passageways. To let bad things through, yeah, and cause trouble for others. Um, so that goes into your second question. Yeah, I, I do believe that, but I think, you know, uh, say people that are gifted like you, um, there are some people who don't want that gift and they want to shut it off and they work hard to shut it off. Yeah. Then there's the other uh, pole of that where people hone the gift. They learn their best to um, communicate with the other side and try to help the other side. But then there's some people who are just trying to deny it. And I think when you're denying it and, you know, then then you kind of like maybe lack of a better word, piss off whatever's trying to get a hold of you, trying to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. And that could cause... I yeah, I certainly don't want to piss off a ghost. I have trouble enough just not pissing off people. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, my girlfriend's getting ready to trade me in for another model right now. So, I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> I'm being channeled by Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> give me some respect. No respect. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's just... Uh, um. I love everybody that has good spirit, and there's a lot of people out there that do. But, of course, we have those certain people that aren't going to change, like um, like the ones like, like Hitler and Charles Manson and very dark, evil pe- people like that that had a lot of power but misused their power. Right. I mean, I can't believe all the stuff they did in an evil way. Think what they could have done in a good way. You know what I'm saying? If, if they had changed, like Get Smart would say, if they had changed their ways. But, I mean. Oh, I totally agree with you. Like, because, I mean, when you're that influential, you know, if you can influence that many people, if you were to use that as good, holy cow, what could have you have done? I know, I know. Jim Jones? Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, Jim, you know, Jonestown, um, you know, David Koresh at Waco. I mean, if yeah, those extremely influential people. But you hear these stories and you're going, what the hell? <laughs> Why did it have to go the downward spiral? You know? I know, I know. It's uh, it's just onward, I tell you. Well, with that said, I thank you for being here today. Well, thank you, Richard. And I think our guest uh, coming up, if I have his name somewhere, let's see, hold on, is um, Jim Bruton. Have you heard of him? I, I don't believe I have. Well, he won a Grammy Award for his film on elephants in nat- natural geographic my wife might have heard of them she loves uh those the elephant stuff well the real cool part every everything that he's done has been real cool but uh he talks about his afterlife experience oh wow and he had a plane that he built himself it was an older plane and he'll talk about it, but he was uh, in the flying over somewhere, and he came down crashing, going seventy miles an hour, and everything was torn apart, including him. But we're going to hear about that and what happened. Wow, <laughs> Jason, with that lifted note, <laughs> thank you, Jason, for being here today. Thank you, Richard. You're tuned in to Paranormal UK Radio Network, a.k.a. PokeRadio.com, P-A-U-K Radio.com. Welcome to the Richard Spassoff Show. We're going to have a wonderful guest tonight. His name is Jim Bruton. If I didn't... Name, is that right, Jim? Absolutely spot on, Richard. <laughs> Great. Why don't we give everybody your website? Because you have some exciting uh, stories to share with us about 
your afterlife experiences and before that, what was your life like and all that kind of stuff we're going to go into. So uh, let's get your website and where you could be found. Sure. Um, it's pretty easy to remember. It's inbetweenproductions.com, and that's productions with an S, inbetweenproductions.com. Great. That sounds great. Okay. So to start off with, Jim, what was life like for you when you were little? little? Did, did you, what was your life like? Sure. Well, you know, I think the best way to characterize it is saying that my life's been one of childhood dreams realized. When I was little, you know, like a lot of boys growing up in the mm-hmm. 60s, I was really curious about life and everything. And, you know, if you looked in any popular mechanics magazine, which we all did at the time, it had this great optimistic vision of the future. You know, we were all going to get the flying saucer in a garage, <laughs> pocket pack yes. to work, moon tourism by 2000, you know, all this great stuff. So as a little boy who loved science fiction, I was ready to live that way right now. So um, I'll plant that. I'm going to plant a few seeds here and, and then share with you how okay. they blossom as we move forward. Um, so I was really interested in that. And the other thing is that I loved on uh, Sunday evenings watching this show called Wild Kingdom. Uh, the co-hosts would run all around the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, participating in animal conservation efforts and, you know, just having one adventure after the other. And I remember sitting there one night watching TV, you know, it's black and white television on our kitchen table thinking, how do I do that for a living? And I also, uh, my dad became a pilot in the early 60s, okay. later on a professional pilot. So I fell in love with early aviation, you know, during the age of discovery, right, right, right after the Wright brothers and into World War One. So, you know, I just had this active imagination of pretty much, <laughs> it sounds like I wanted to be in any other time than I was, but <laughs> that may be true as well. But you know, over time, you know, as I grew up and, had to sort of put some of that aside to, you know, get on with the business of studying, mm-hmm. yep, school yep. sports and dating and all that. I um, was able to return to each one of those and actually do things, you know, I guess have some accomplishments in each one of those areas. The um, Certainly the travel and adventure with animals came true. I, I got to uh, live in Africa and work on wildlife films and actually have an Emmy for work with my na- with National Geographic. And then when Disney came out to scout a location one day, they had a sort of a prototype at that time of a satellite telephone. And here I am, 300 miles from anywhere, seeing people communicate instantly with the studios in L.A. And I said, has anyone ever pushed video over that? And no one knew. And I said, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And guess well, let's, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I did. <laughs> let's start. Let's go a little bit back and talk about your experience about working in Africa. What were the pe- people like there? What was the wildlife like? What was? Uh... Sure, sure. Um, well, the country was Namibia, which is in southwestern Africa, mm-hmm. and it means the big nothing, and it really is with a population density of about two people per square mile, and it's um. I would say it's a very arid climate, and out toward the coast, it's the oldest desert in the world, the Namib Desert, um, Ooh, with the yeah. tallest sand dunes going up to a thousand feet. So it's um, it's kind of like the the science fiction movie Dune. So again, that sort of fit for mm-hmm. me. As well. But while we were there, um, you know, we would fly around in ultralights looking for desert dwelling elephants. There are a lot of animals there, and the only water they've had to drink is when the cold 
uh, Atlantic Current comes in with fog at night, much like in San Francisco. Right. And fog condensates on or condenses on various plants that are around there. And then the giraffe or the elephants come by and essentially, you know, lick, lick the plants. I mean, it's it's a real wow. Rich, wow. Tough. Business. Yeah, yeah. But it's pretty cool. But the people were great, too. Um, I would say Namibia was probably the last colony in Africa uh, becoming independent of South Africa in 1989, right when the Berlin Wall came down. So uh, I did a short film with a friend about that as well. But, you know, you have a lot of different tribes there. And all of a sudden they were coming into positions of power and having, having to really figure out how to best get along together. But I um, I just loved Africa. I really did, and I still do. What were these tribes? When I think of Africa, I always think of headhunters. <laughs> but uh, what were these tribes like? Well, a lot of them would have been pastoral. I mean, they may have they may have uh, you know had been somewhat migratory, but right. I would say a lot of them these days would have cattle, goats, and donkeys. Oh, okay. Um, there were the Bushmen, and you know they're kind of legendary, like the Aborigines, in terms of their their ability to track what seems like over rock sometimes. You had the Kalahari Bushmen that would come into Namibia. Um, but I would just say that a lot of them were, I mean, like you had the Obambo, the Herero, and then, like I said, the Bushmen and, and many others. But I, I enjoyed being around all of them. That's cool. I know that they have uh, driver ants out there, and that, that would scare me to death along with the snakes and everything else. How did you deal with the wildlife? Well, you know, what's interesting is you realize pretty early on you're a visitor living in their home. Mm -hmm. So obviously in that we're making wildlife films, having either an intuitive knowledge or, you know, a growing knowledge of animal behavior is critical. Uh, you know, reading their body language, for example, like, you know, that lion's really ticked off. I don't think I should, you know, mm -hmm. approach it closer or something like that. Or this elephant, you know, maybe a, a mother elephant and she's a little more nervous because she has a baby or things like that. You, you just really get tuned in. And so living with the animals was absolutely no problem. You, you know, obviously, you, you just, like I said, have to remember that you're a visitor and this is yes, their home. Yes. So whatever they do is coming naturally. So we never had an issue. It was great. What a wonderful experience, I mean, to have. Uh, now, did you film or you were in this doing narration? What what did you do exactly? I was there to uh, film, and I also recorded audio. Okay. Um, had an Emmy nomination in film, and I had a win in audio. And I, um, and, but you know, when you when you're engaged <laughs> in wildlife filming, let's just say it's very non-union. You're learning how to repair <laughs> Land Rovers. You're learning how to conserve water. You're learning, yeah. you know, you know, here, here's here's what you can eat and when you can eat it. And I mean, it's a it's a very holistic uh, lifestyle, and you wind up learning a a whole lot about many things certainly other than just um you know tracking focus or you know making yeah. sure your noise levels are good it's it's certainly that but it's that within the much broader context than hollywood you had to survive in, in a real area in a way it was a uh how could i say it, it it's not it was a what a reality show but not i don't like those but you were in a real life situation where you had to film film everything and for, first of all uh congratulations to you on the awards on this film 
Thank you. You know, you actually hit on a good point, Rich. I mean, we could have turned the camera around on our daily lives and yeah. probably started reality, reality television before it even began. Because yeah. You wake up and the first thing you do is you shake your shoes out to make sure a scorpion didn't climb in <laughs> during the night. You know, things like that. Uh, you know, and if you're trying to raise a child in that environment, you can imagine that you have to keep a, a real eye on them because, you know, they may come in trying to carry a scorpion or they may just not realize sometimes the the danger that could be out there but it's it's all good but again we um we did have a good time and we were very aware that you know sometimes it seemed like we were inside a divine comedy and god has a sense of <laughs> yes god does i know <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell you um just to you travel what what are some of the other what's the next place you were at that's a great question. Uh, I've been on all seven continents, the Titanic, the North Pole, Mount Everest, and a uh, bunch of war zones. Right. On my way to checking all those off my list, uh, when I was in Namibia, um, we had an opportunity to go down to Antarctica, and we spent the entire summer, if you want to call it, there, uh, basically back and forth on maybe four different trips. Uh, we uh, crossed the Drake's Passage probably a total of 13 times between South America and Antarctica, and that can be a wild ride. We also circumnavigated Antarctica, and you know we were just collecting some footage to see if National Geographic wanted to put the series together mm -hmm. on that. And I, I'll have to say, I really enjoyed my time there. It's, um, it's interesting whether I'm at sea or on a polar ice cap or out in the middle of a desert in Namibia. I realized that I just really like these big open spaces. They were like a blank canvas that pulls out from you whatever your natural creative talents are. How did you survive all this? I mean, it seems like you were under uh, many different uh, conditions. What were the experiences yeah. like? Sure. Well... Obviously, you know, in, where we were in Africa, we, you know, many times had to truck in our own food and, and, and the park would bring in water. And we just practiced conservation. You know, right. we, we didn't waste anything. Uh, we had some solar power. Like uh, we had we had gas powered uh, uh, a freezer. And then we had solar power for everything else, portable solar panels we could put on the roof of our cars and drive around, things like that. And, and our needs actually were... We're very little. I mean, we, we actually had candles and we just kind of lived very simply. And, and sometimes you'd think we were living like the pioneers lived. Yeah. <laughs> we were on a ship. So that wasn't a problem. Everything was very self contained there. It was an icebreaker. And we, um, we were very comfortable there. How long did it take the, what was the uh, longest journey that you've been through in your film? Uh, were you out there like for six months to a year or more or how long? Well, it's funny you say that because even though my Emmy award was in sound, I think there should be a category for longest period it takes to make a film. Yeah. This last one we did, I literally, literally took about 14 years. Now oh. we're making smaller half hours along the way for European markets and things like that. But the, you know, the, the main film we were really there wanting to make about desert dwelling elephants and then a bit of life overall. And that, in that case, we did turn the camera around a few times to show the behind the scenes. And that one really did take about 14 years to do. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what an experience. I mean, what did you learn from the ele elephants? What would you say? 
I'll tell you. What we learned from the Elvis is how human-like they are, mm-hmm. to be honest. Okay. Um, if somebody waved a magic wand and we were turned into elephants, they act just like we would act. And one day <clears throat> with the locals, you know, some of the natives, there mm-hmm. was this tiny, I mean, when I say tiny, I mean like four feet across, I guess you could call it a water hole um, that someone had dug out. But all the donkeys and all the goats were down there and trampling it and making a mud pit out of it. Well, the wildlife also used that. So it was around sunset one day, and I got a shovel out, and I said, well, I'm going to dig it out. And, you know, Then the water will seep in there, and there will be a pool of water for you know everybody else to drink. So I did that. And after about 45 minutes of digging it out, I stopped, took a break. I look over my shoulder. And there's this huge bull elephant just standing there about 30 feet away just watching me. He knew knew what I was doing, and he was letting me do it. And I just thought, now that is cool. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. I I remember one time I worked for my friend Jonathan Kraft with some tigers, and I had the opportunity to – I was doing massage for them, and I had the opportunity to feel their paw on my chest. It scared me at first, but then I realized, of course, it was just trying to uh, to love love me, not to hurt me, you know. But exactly. yeah, you know what? And I'm sure you had many experiences with these animals to know that they felt com- comfortable with you guys being there, right? Yeah, I mean. It's interesting, you know, when you go out there and basically you you don't act in a threatening manner. And if they're hanging around, a lot of times you might be, you know, reading a book while you're waiting for something to happen because it, you cannot script the lion to jump out of the bushes and you know attack <laughs> no. the Just have to kind of be ready for it. So, you know, just by becoming part of the scenery, the animals ignored us to a great extent. So that made it really easy to, you know, be part of the right. part of their lives and just not interfere in any way and just uh, try to capture some of these unique moments that people don't often see. What? Oh, now did you lot, did you write down any of this stuff too as well? Did, did you write about it? Your, well, my, my parents-in-law at the time um, would write articles or, or write or, or take photos for articles that were written by someone else for National okay. Geographic. I know they did issue a few books while they, while they were out there. They might write the occasional magazine article. But but honestly, they were pretty much focused on uh, still images and film. Right, right. Well, that's still that, – that's you had a whole team up there, which was great. And you, you – it sounds like – you had, uh, oh, geez, you, the, you were talking about the Berlin Wall. What was that like to be around? Well, the Berlin Wall came down when Namibia was becoming independent. Yeah. The UN went in with the UN Transitional Assistance Group, and uh, I was able to ride around with the different teams that had come in from different countries, you know, maybe the Australians, maybe the Nigerians. You know, it was really interesting mm-hmm. to kind of get a sample of these different cultures and what their roles were in assisting with this transition. It was during that time that the Berlin Wall came down. So, of course, everyone was talking about that as well. Yeah. And just the, the change in the world at that time, I think right around that time was perhaps the first big environmental conference uh that the whole world was invited to. So it just seemed like um, it was ripe with and for change. So it was, uh, I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, when, when the mm-hmm. 
when the USSR became Russia in, what was it, 85, 86, yeah. and then a few years later, the Berlin Wall comes down. I mean, we're thinking, wow, what, what's coming next? You know, we were all very, very full of optimism. Quite a change within the world. I mean, oh, geez, you've been all around the world now. And now, what's the next step that occurs? Well, one evening I was uh, trying to film the green flash on the top of a really tall dune at the coast uh, of the sunset. The, the green flash is when the sun reaches a certain point as it's basically touching the horizon, if all the environmental conditions are right, and rarely they are, the sunlight will refract at a certain angle that goes through the green part of the spectrum. And again, it's so fast, they call it a flash. But we did finally get it, but it wasn't this particular right. day. As I'm filming the sunset, I hear these vehicles approaching you know, over the sand dunes. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder who that is. Because, again, I'm so remotely situated. And I looked up and I could see several four-wheel drive uh, vehicles coming led by a ranger I knew. So they pulled up and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? And he said, this is a Disney film crew scouting a location. And that's when I saw my first satellite telephone when they pulled it out to report, you know, their day's progress back to the studio. And that's when I started wondering, you know, as, as a filmmaker, any filmmaker, we're always wondering how to use, you know, this new piece of technology to better tell a story. Like, yeah. they'll take a tiny lens they may use for surgery and push it up a flower so that when the bee lands on top it's as big as a house and everybody goes wow and they remember that shot yes, so yes. you know when i saw this satellite technology and i saw them talking over it, i started wondering about being able to push video over it the concept <laughs> being how do you take a tv truck and shrink it into a backpack so think along those lines so i returned to the states and met with uh, the people who manufactured satellite telephones talked to the people who owned the satellites, and then I talked to Bell Labs. And we, I quickly cobbled together a prototype that worked well enough to um, be given a $50,000 satellite phone and all the $10 a minute satellite time I could eat and said, good luck and you know, good riddance. So I, I went around the world testing it. And we realized we were going to have to wait for the digital satellites to launch because everything was analog and we were having you know, some error correction problems. But I was able to reverse engineer what the production process would be like. And with that, I was able to retrace the journey of the Magi for Microsoft, you know, the three yes. wise. Yes. I was able to produce the field, produce the Titanic expedition for Discovery, winning them the Yahoo Side of the Year award. Oh, wow. And cool. do a bunch of other adventures around the world. And I would say one of the really cool things was um, integrating it with uh, certain telemedical devices that were destined for the International Space Station. And we went to Everest twice to test those. And for that, I was a, a lecturer at Yale University School of Medicine and a NASA principal investigator. And that, that was a good run. And then eventually, and this wound up becoming more and more of my life. I left filming behind with the idea that now I would be, you know, capturing, you know, video and audio and, and, and of course, writing up my stories and having adventures around the world. But I could also make it interactive, yeah. which was pretty cool, you know, so we could go live and interact with people or take their questions and go get their answers. So eventually the dot-com bubble burst and the only people left with any money for me to do this were the major news organizations. So, you know, off I go to the Persian Gulf for CNN and I'm transmitting live with my satellite system off a aircraft carrier. And I laughed one day, I said, I've gone from 
sharing the most beautiful places in the world to the worst places in the world. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to follow the opportunities and the money. So I did that, and it was uh, it was great. I um, I mean I, I mean it was great. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it attracted the attention of the Pentagon, and we had some interesting conversations and a uh, an interesting relationship thereafter. And I um, eventually wound up as a war correspondent for NBC News, where I further built and refined my systems for our teams. Everything was just in time uh, for right after 9-11. You know, we were all right. off, like in Afghanistan or other places. And then I came back. I was off in Southeast Asia chasing terrorists with the special forces. And then I was in Iraq all of uh, 2003 during that campaign over there. And then eventually I met a widow with three babies and um Stop Your life being, changed. Being a family man. How's that for a transition? <laughs> I don't know. Was it easier to chase terrorists or to have three kids? Yeah, well, I do call it the day I joined the circus. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it, it, it's being very blessed. I mean, but what a very interesting life. I mean, what was it like uh, to chase these people to be to try to stop what they're doing? What what occurred there? Well, it just makes you feel like you're everyone serves in the best way. That if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It can. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sitting here promoting war because you know, right. it's, it's sort of the should be the last, last, last resort. Yes. yes. But um, in, in terms of seeing how you know an entire country is treated and how that could extend past its borders, maybe either to our ally neighbors or to ourselves. I mean, I'm not. Like I said, I'm not going to to go into the politics of war. But I will say that while I was there, I got a real appreciation for the kind of young men and women that are serving our country. Yeah. I mean, they're not the ones who decide to go to war, but no, once no, over, they're going no. to do the best they can. And it's not like they're you know killed. You know that they just want to go out and hurt people. No, they there there were. I would say there's a tremendous amount of humanitarian service that goes on with the locals there that you'll never hear about on the news ever. But um, one time I, when we rolled into Baghdad, my um, wife said, 
you know, that her aunt um, was in the Missionaries of Charity, which mm-hmm. is the Mother Teresa group, and that she had reported that no one had heard from that convent in Baghdad since the bombing. So I dug around a little bit, found out where they were. We went and visited them. And while I was there, I set up a satellite telephone. I said, call everybody who's important to you and tell them you're okay because people are worried. And I wound up doing a story about them because they had over 20 babies that had serious physical and mental challenges. People would just put them on the doorstep and walk, mm, ring the doorbell and right. run away. So they had them. They said, you know, how would we have left with all the bombing? We couldn't not leave the children behind. Yeah, so yeah. Their, their story was really one of courage and de- dedication and sacrifice. So I did a story on them. We aired it on Good Friday. It aired 10 times over the weekend. And that's how I began being um, a regular journalist on camera for NBC News. Oh, wow. Good in both ways. You're able to help somebody that helped out a lot of people at the same time. You're able to get yourself going. Wow. Very blessed on that way. Yeah, we went and raided a bombed out U.N. office and brought them back, um, you know, bolts of fabric and light bulbs, electric wiring and and a bunch of um, humanitarian rations. They're like meals ready to eat. The military eats, but they're in a distinctive uh, yellow packet and so you know we, we were there feeding the kids and clothing them and just re- I mean the Marines almost would get into a fight over who would go next they really wanted to go and I'll tell you a lot of them were walking around there with their battle armor on and their fatigues holding babies they Aww. just loved it <laughs> yep. that's who these guys are yeah it's who these guys really are yeah that's what should be shown more too that's like like you you were saying it's important to hear the good news as well and we don't hear it too much right well you just have to remember that these young men and women who serve overseas mm-hmm. they were the kids out there playing pop warner with your own children or they might be the you know the daughters on the swim team or on the cheerleading squad i mean they have been your next door neighbors yeah. and they st- are they just look a little different and they have a mission now and so we you know we do need to think about them and and support them as they go through that phase of life yeah very much so it's uh quite a quite a story there with with a lot lot of good things going on in this world even though there's there's bad and good but there's still a lot of good that we don't hear about Exactly. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be all bad news all the time, yeah. which, you know, I mean, the news industry itself has kind of moved from the news that's the most informative to the news that's most profitable. And that's why, as they say, um, you know, blood leads. And, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> like everybody's stopping to see a wreck because they can't look away. That's what the news has become. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's society, what it's turned into. But there is a good side about us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we need to be reminded of it yeah. on a very regular basis. And I think this um, this disease that we're going through, right? This, this virus that we're going through is kind of a reminder for us. I think. I agree. In fact, you know, it just seems like you know, with with talking about social distancing and working from our homes and not going out any more than we need to, it certainly has emphasized our human need for yes. social interaction. So, of course, like you and I are using Skype right yes. now. I'm, I'm sure the markets for Skype and Zoom video and WebEx have just gone through the roof. 
as people not only need to for the work that remains, but just for that social connection, they're using all these modalities to have that. And, and I think that's our mental health that we're taking care of when we do it. Very much so, yes. Yeah, just to make, make it through and, and connect with other people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very important. And, and if nothing else, this has reminded of us, uh, reminded us of it, like you said. And, you know, I, I wish we could better channel it and how to deal with some of the other, you know, social justice issues that are coming up to the fore right yeah, now. I, yes, I, yes. I think in a way, it was an opportunity to say, OK, as we're realizing just how much we need each other, as this opportunity rises up, what can we take that we're learning right now and apply to that to get to where we all need to go? Because we are one people. We just may look different, but we are one people and we're on one planet. I agree. To totally. We're all we're all wor worth it. We're all exactly. exactly. We're all part of the same. Yeah, exactly. There's so much to say about it. But yes, I totally agree. No, yeah, it's good. I mean, so we, we have all these opportunities to really um, see that we're more than we thought we were. And, and for me, that's, you know, that's certainly one of the big lessons that came out of my near-death experience is that we're all interconnected. And let's just get on with the business of realizing it. Well, let's talk about that. How did, how did your near-death experience begin? Sure. Well, like I said, when I retired from the war and settled down with a ready-made family, um, my new wife said, you know, now that you're not traveling, I don't want you to go crazy and drive me crazy. I know you've always been interested in early aviation. Why don't you build one of those airplanes you're always talking about? So I thought about that. Yeah, I could do that. So my first plane I built took me a few years, but it was a fairly faithful reproduction of a World War One fighter like the Red Baron had, but in oh, my geez. own yeah paint scheme and then i flew it for maybe 10 or 12 hours and sold it to an air force pilot and then i built my second plane called a flying flea and that was a 1933 reproduction it looks like a soapbox derby car with a wing above your head behind your head and a motorcycle engine right in front it's a very unusual very whimsical design and as i often say it looks like something out of a disney cartoon well it was on the second test flight that I lost my engine and couldn't make it back to the airfield. Uh -oh. I aimed for a, a small lake or almost a large pond at a Boy Scout camp next door thinking, okay, this it isn't forested and it isn't rocky and it's not hilly. That's my place to go. Right. But I overshot the bank and hit all the trees at about 70 miles an hour Ooh. or so. Imagine hitting that uh, in a soapbox derby car and you've got the picture. Luckily... There was a man fishing there, Greg Gubatosi, a retired um, teacher and police officer. Mm -hmm. And I have it's the police officer part that kept me alive because he rushed over to uh, keep me propped up uh, because both my ribs were broken. My right leg looked like a pretzel. I had a uh -huh. hole in my back from the battery breaking loose right. and hitting me. So I said, like I like to say, you know, other than that, I was fine. Uh, but I really had to, um, you know, kind of just gasp for air since my lungs weren't working and, and Greg was able to call 911 and get a helicopter in for me and they um, they took me up to Hartford uh, Trauma Center in Hartford, Connecticut and the team there was just you know the A team, the military efficiency they were waiting on the helipad to take me in and immediately put me into a breathing machine um, intubated you know with a tube into my um, lungs so I could breathe Did that and hurt? I well, here's the thing. I have no memory of it. Okay, okay. Uh, 
in fact, it's interesting. I, I do remember seeing my propeller stop. I mm-hmm. remember getting it going and it stopped again. Um, later on, much later on, I, I went through my emails and it was two days before my crash is the last email that I have any memory of either sending or receiving. Oh, so two wow. days okay. Okay. I got wiped out from the <laughs> crash. But anyway, they um, they talked about it and they, they told my family that I had um, about a week's worth of six plus hour operations coming up and they recommended to put me into a coma. So they did. And again, you know, trying to put this together after the fact and kind of backing into it, I would say that when they put me into a coma here, that's when my near-death experience began. Okay. Um, you know how a lot of near-death experience will have similar hallmarks. Like they go through a tunnel. They see long-deceased loved ones. Uh, there may be angelic presences there or beautiful scenes. They'll have a life review. Sometimes they get a big message. And right. then they're sent. Well, I didn't have any of that. Where I went, I first of all, it was like I just teleported there. Like, boom, I'm there. Right, right. And, it was in a very post-apocalyptic landscape, like a destroyed city, and there was absolutely nothing there. And it was just very gray. And it was very dark because there were these huge storm clouds, like really heavy with rain, just getting ready to cut loose, hovering above me. And while being a very, you know, kind of dystopian vision of our future, if you will, it's not like I was afraid. I honestly didn't have any emotion whatsoever. Okay. And I realized later on I, I was incredibly depersonalized. I mean, I had no memory of this place or attachment to it. If someone had come up and said, well, if you stay here longer, you can't go back, I would have had no idea what they were talking about. Right, right. <laughs> so anyway, as I, um, as I looked around, I... Um, was hit by this wave of nausea at one point and I, I bent over saying, I don't think I can stand this. And I heard the sound to my left and it was a large egg shaped latticework structure. And it was little things moving around inside that were making this noise. So I made my way over to it and looked through that latticework and I could see these special kind of gears like you see in clocks sort of really suspended in the air, but moving around gently like they were in idle mode and some of them would just pass through each other and some were more in focus some were less in focus but it was but anytime i looked at them a clear vision of their meaning played inside my head and i realized these are moments from my future you know actions thoughts words deeds Mm -hmm. all that it's from my future because i might see myself as older i might see one of my children with kids of their own things like that and so I put my hand through the um, lattice work to just see, gosh, can I touch these things? And at that moment, one of the um, gears, if you will, um, brushed by my hand and caused me a lot more pain. And I reflexively pulled it out through the lattice and threw it away. And when I did that, all the gears started spinning around again. And I just stood back and said, what is this thing? And at that point, a disembodied voice started talking to me. And it said, this is the future birthing into the now. This is the process of becoming. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, with, with the gears spinning around as they moved, I said, you know, what's happening now? And it said, right. each gear, the probability of a thought, word or action in your future, your destiny is resetting itself around what you've removed. And after I watched it come to a standstill, I asked, you know, how did I know I could do that, pull that gear out and remove that future moment? And this place actually said, why else are you here? I said, I have no idea. I don't even know what this place is. 
And that's when I learned the name of the place. It said, you're in the in-between. And I said, in-between what? It said, everything. Mm-hmm. The impossible now between the past and the future. And I think I said something cocky like, that makes no sense whatsoever. And it said, um, it's impossible in its short duration. Yet here you are standing inside the eternity of a single moment. And that's when it said, do you remember who you are in the world to which your body belongs? And I, I thought about it. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. I said, I have no idea. And it said, then you see the truth and now the past is dust. And I asked it, you know, why some of the futures I touched made me sick and not others. And the answer was that all choices have unintended consequences, some unfortunate and some not. That the pain each brings, you know, is my guide. And, you know, again, kind of cockily, I said, where are the gears that feel good? And it said, you're not here to feel good. And in that case... Um, a gear passed by and I could see grandchildren who aren't born yet of mine mm-hmm. uh, co- coasting by like on a Ferris wheel or an amusement park laughing and happy and I thought well obviously I'm going to let that gear pass by but over and over as more gears emerged within view I would you know using pain not a moral compass as my guide try to figure out which ones were causing me pain because those were future choices that would be to my spiritual detriment so it's kind of like stacking the deck you know like let's pull out all the bad cards that make us lose and let's keep the ones in that can help us win right right but over a period of time as i kept pulling out more gears i started to noticed that I was getting a big pile of gears. And I said, you know, it's starting to look like if I don't have a bad future, I might not have no future at all. You know, even though I now I'm starting to feel less pain, am I going to die sooner from doing all this? And the answer was, um, you know, your destiny has to fit itself around futures that aren't meant to be, that your number of breaths are already counted. I will worry about your last one. That was straight from the in-between. Okay. And it, um, I don't know how comforting that is. And Yeah, yeah, strange. <laughs> Yeah, it said, but it said eliminating bad choices didn't mean I wouldn't make wrong ones, but I wouldn't know they were wrong until after they pass. And that since right and wrong are variables, you know, over which I have no control, the answers to what come tomorrow are a waste. It's better to just understand the beauty of how everything fits and refits together, sort of the grand design. And at some point I said, you know, what am I missing here in my lack of understanding? And said, you know, what is clearly before you? Grace. No one deserves salvation. It can only be given by grace. It's my birthright, but I had to choose it at the expense of the world that separated, I guess, whoever the voice was and myself. And um, a couple more things that were very profound I'd like to share was that, you know, I did say that, you know, this fixing my future is painful, but I'm ashamed of not using some moral compass that I'm only guided by pain. And it said, you know, these things, it said, removing your enthusiasm to further chain yourself to the world isn't as painful as carrying the crushing weight of those chains once forged around you. And I said, you know, it's like this place was designed so I could do one thing and one thing only and no chance to screw it up. And it said, probably one of those profound things I've ever heard. It said, if those with choices make poor use of them, then offering fewer possibilities could be called mercy. So and that's, that's what, I, yeah, that's what you were given, given, it sounds like, to do the right choice, right? Exactly, exactly. And and then there's, and then it, I think, you know, about that time I could tell we were wrapping up because it said, you know, you can't change the past, but you can make better choices in the future, that everything is interconnected and paid more attention to my relationships. And then it said, be gentle with everyone as I'm gentle with you. And I said, what's gentle about all this? And it said, <laughs> 
said, you prayed for something for which being here is the answer. And now the man who fell from the sky is not the same who flew into it. And with that, it pretty much, you know, booted me out and I came back here. And at that time you were in the hospital still, right? Oh, yeah. This this to me was while I was in a coma and they were operating. Okay. Okay. So now you're out and are you through? Has it been six weeks or how how much time has passed or? A week. It was a total, it was a total time of about seven weeks, but they had me out for about a week, okay. and I would say it was another week after I came out before I my head was really screwed on straight and I could remember anything. I, I pretty much came to not in the ICU but in the rehabilitation hospital, and I'll tell you, as soon as I came to, the memory of this experience was kind of floating around inside my head, and I, I've often thought, isn't it interesting, this. This intense near-death experience with incredible lucidity, you know, logic, everything is bookended by two instances of basically amnesia. And I thought that's kind of interesting. You know, to me that lends a little more credit to it. Um, but when I came to, you know, my wife had this picture taped to the wall of me when I was in Afghanistan uh, with these tribesmen or these tribal people. Uh, you know, they had these like. 50 caliber machine gun belts. I'm sitting there smoking a cigar. You know, it was a, like I say, it's a perfect match.com photo. <laughs> but I, um, I think she was just sort of saying, you know, this is this is the guy, man I married, and you know, this is meant to be encouragement, heal back to being this guy. But as I sat there and looked at, it, I thought, yeah, that's not who I am anymore. And that I'd say that has been the typical statement that have thought every day <laughs> since then is because, you know, you look the same, right, but you're not right. the same. And, and I thought of it this way, you know, before the crash, I was Jim 1.0 and then I have the reboot of the NDE and now I'm Jim 2.0. So, you know, I just have to get to know the new and improved Jim. At the same time, it's very stressful for your relationships because you look the same you're just not talking the same. You, you have different values, yes, yes. different reference points. The things you said before now may mean something different. And that ambiguity uh, introduced into the relationship usually leaves the other person who did not have the experience asking, well, what about me? What about us? And that's where you really start to understand you know, what relationships are made of, uh, that maybe what we call love is attachment, not true love, that true love would allow for you to change and to grow and they just sort of ride along with you. And and again, those 65 to 85, no, no, 65 to 78 percent of people who have a near-death experience get divorced. It's usually not because someone's good or bad. It's because they're overwhelmed. Right, so, right, I right. That is a real no-fault thing and I can totally, totally understand why someone feels they just can't quite carry on with that journey. Because you're meant to be somewhere else. That's all I got to say. It's It's it change, changes every, everything within you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, your values change. And then, you know, there are other things. I mean, you just react to everything differently. You know, what shocked you before may not now. You'll right. find you're less judgmental. And, and then you start to realize, you know, these common signposts that people use to understand that your values are the same of their, as theirs, providing the social cohesion for a marriage or a family or neighborhood or things like that. Well, what happens when you don't react that way? What happens when you're, gosh, I'm not going to say you're enlightened after an NDE, but I will say 
you don't have to be enlightened to have an enlightening experience. Right. So when you come back and you find your feet are pointed in the right direction, you'll probably start practicing it immediately by not reacting in a favorable way to perhaps lowbrow comments or anything that hasn't been well thought out or isn't maybe very compassionate. You just sort of sit there and think, huh. And they're probably thinking, he's sitting there thinking I'm an idiot. And I'm sitting there thinking, why don't I agree with this anymore? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, what, okay. What happened to your life now after all this experience and you're out of the hospital or did we miss no, no, it's about right. The first thing you notice when you come out of an NDE or, um, I mean, that really points to the fact this was not a hallucination, yeah. um, are some of what they call the after effects. You know, you, you might realize, well, as they say, if you weren't psychic before, you're psychic after, or if you were psychic, you're more psychic after. I don't know that I'm psychic, but I will say my empathy really got amped up. I really had a greater sense of connection with people. And when I talked to them, it seemed like they had a greater sense of connection to me than I remember people having before my crash. And in fact, I'd say that's that's occurred sometimes to mind-blowing proportions. And um, so, so, like I said, that that's been kind of important. Then you have some of the funny things um, around. Uh, electronics like light bulbs blow out more than usual computers act really strange the television just suddenly turns on uh, my entire HVAC system suddenly blew up and four of the five amp uh, four of the five motors in the ductwork that directs airflow and my microwave and the only expe- explanation I could get from anybody was power surge but uh, yeah, the other the really strange thing in terms of electronics was um, Electronic communications, uh, just basically messages sometimes typing themselves um, or seeing emails merge from 11 years apart that were about spiritual topics. Right. But other than that, absolutely unrelated. And I couldn't get the highest rated people at Cisco and Unified Communications to explain how two emails from 11 years apart could become merged. And Mm So I, those are in my book, um, The In-Between, A Journey of a Lifetime, which is out on Amazon, just out. And the audio version was just released yesterday. And I actually have photos of these screens in there that uh, people can see. Can you give everybody your website, though, so and the book name again, so that they can sure. get that for sure? Absolutely. Now, if you go to my website, you'll see a link to click to go to Amazon to buy the book. Uh, the website is in Between Productions. Dot com and that's productions with an s in between productions dot com and the book on Amazon is the in between a trip of a lifetime and that's available in Kindle and paperback and in audio and the audio is my voice now with all this said um, with the experiences and your life how is your life going now what is uh what is your main goal in life besides you want to connect to a deep, deeper level with people and show love and kindness, which is understandable? What else is going on? Well, I think you characterized it really well right there. I think uh, to broaden that out a little bit, um, basically, I feel like I'm living my life in service to my fellow man and woman. Mm-hmm. That, that's so if someone were to say, what's your purpose in life? I'd say it's to help, to basically, um, for want of a better word, channel what I feel from the in-between 
through me with the least amount of me in there as possible to keep it as pure flow as it can be Mm -hmm. um, out into the world. And it can go where it needs to and do what it needs to. You know, to some people it may help physically, it may help mentally, it just may lift somebody up a little bit that day who really needs it. But it's really just, you know, we all want to make the world a little bit better place in whatever way we can. And that's definitely what I I like doing. I, I like connecting with people and I like seeing their burden lifted even an inch. And then I feel like, okay, I'm I'm doing my job. Wherever God decides to, to take you then on this exactly. adventure. Yeah. You nailed it. You yeah. nailed it. I feel, like, <laughs> no, I feel like I'm almost a soldier. Like, yeah. It's not like a lot of people will come back and say, well, you know, what about the joy? And, and, and usually people are chasing joy and avoiding sorrow. Yeah. But where I went, it was, it took me deeper than that. It said, you know, you see a sine wave, you know, the up and down undulating sine wave. And if you imagine the peak is joy and the trough is sorrow. Okay. That's how most of life is. You have ups and downs, but running through that wave is a single axis that doesn't move up and down at all. That main axis for me is acquiescence or acceptance of God's will. You know, you're going to have good days. Yeah, me too. To equally embrace them and say, okay, you know, while there's um, joy, I'm going to experience joy. When joy goes, I can let it go. So this leads to a bigger subject, which is going to be the subject of my second book, The Practice in Between the Art of Letting Go. And it's almost done now. And it really is about the art of letting go. Mm -hmm. That so much of what we really want can be found not in having that one more thing that will make us, you know, faster, jump higher, richer, drive faster, better looking, you know, person on our arm at a party or anything like that. If you think about it, when you hold a baby, it's got all the secrets to the universe already. It's ready to be a happy spiritual being. But, you know, as we grow older and we want to conform and we want to connect and we want to fit in and we don't want to stand out, we start taking on all this other junk onto us that winds up isolating us from that awareness. Our connections wind up being based on those falsehoods. So rather than saying we need one more thing, so come over here and let's have our prosperity consciousness, um, you know, videos that look like, you know, no one ever works for a living and they're all driving Ferraris and they look beautiful. (laughs) I'd rather say, you know, maybe it's about letting go. And I can sum up how that works with like three sentences. Okay. Okay, you know, the samurai were these uh, these uh, Japanese swordsmen back, you know, they think they ended around the mid-1800s or right. so. But they were legendary in their skill with the sword. Well, there's an old saying that on the field of battle, when a samurai draws his sword and throws his scabbard away, it's because he'll never need it again. On this day, he's free to fight his best. And I think we all know where that's going. So... You know, by just letting go, he now has nothing holding him back from just putting it all out there and holding nothing back. Now, imagine if we lived life with that much surrender, that much focus and that much passion, not only every day, but moment by moment. Can you imagine? I have lived that way a lot in my life to begin with, and then it stopped and uh, I've learned how to live life going with the flow, where all of a sudden, sudden some, something God tells you to go somewhere else, do something else, and you do it. 
and then you have to stop doing it and then come back to something else and do it again. Um, so yes, I totally understand. And it's, it's e- e- easy to say, but not as hard to do. I mean, harder to do, I would think, right? Well, because like you say, we're living in the world. But the fact that you have experienced it, that says that you really do have something to say. And people should be listening to that because that's the key to living a spiritual life. Not, again, chasing the one more thing. Because we'll be chasing the one more thing with our last breath. Yeah, <laughs> we <will>. I know. <laughs> we'll never have enough. You know, we live in this false world of there's never enough to go around, so you better get yours while the getting is good. And, you know, to heck with your neighbor. So Not once good, we can yeah, look, yeah. yeah. Once we can change channels and see life in a different way, I think that that's going to be a huge part of our healing. Well, during this uh, coronavirus epidemic what do you want to tell people what what thoughts come to you to share some very odd ones um somebody asked me the other day about you know um in terms of my experience what perspective that gave me on the coronavirus and obviously coronavirus is not done with us yet so i guess we're not done with it we (laughs) we really don't know what the end of the story looks like because it's mutating you know they talked Mm -hmm. about well create a vaccine from the blood of survivors yeah except that's only good for that particular mutation they had of the virus for all the other 99 mutations it won't do anything so you know while we're sitting here you know staring at the walls or staring at our computer screens waiting for a vaccine to show up um it, it continues to mutate so it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange animal right now but i would say this um Let's take it out a little bit. I mean, what if this thing really, really nasty? I mean, in terms of... Oh, yeah, very much so, yes. Population, right? I mean, remember remember in the beginning, oh, it didn't seem like young people were affected. Well, guess what now? We're hearing about young people... 23-year-olds, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I said, you know, rather than asking questions about, almost like, you know, why does God let bad things happen or why is this virus occurring at this particular time, based upon... A person's beliefs I could also ask why did you choose to be born right now yeah I believe that sometimes you know just as you might go to see a movie because you've heard the climax was really great it could be that some souls choose to come into this world um, during the climactic ending of some civilizations I mean empires come and empires go they always have and they always will I believe that yes yes I do believe that so what if somebody said you know we, we really like, you know, showing up on the eve of Atlantis, getting hit by the meteor, or we want to be in, you know, in, in Rome when the Visigoths are knocking the gates down, or we want to live in the old south when it falls or whatever, you know, just fill in the blank with any of the ages and empires that have ended. And it could be similar, you know, that souls have come here to experience this catastrophe (laughs) and (laughs) uh, certainly a debacle and take something away either they they need to work something out or they need to learn something they either need to pay off a karmic debt or pick up a karmic credit perhaps but certainly people going through this are going to learn something very much but i never looked at it as uh god's fault because it's just the way things are i look at it it's the way the earth is the way energy is right now 
it's man-made. Um, pe people could really screw things up pretty good, but I don't. I'm not angry at the pe pe people that caused it. I, I, it's not good. What's going on? It's very bad. But still, I try to show everybody love because we all have to go through this. I mean, except there are some people that you can't change. You can't change evil. Uh, but but the good people out there, you you understand what I'm trying to say, right? I do. I do. Okay. I'm just, just trying to say that we just got to follow the right path within our heart and show love and kindness to everybody around us. Well, that's true. I think, you know, a lot of it is learning patience and a lot of it is trying to trying to help people get to that next step because yes. everybody's doing the best they can, however much or little that is. And everybody definitely could have a desire in their heart to maybe leave the world just a little better place. So the easier we can make it for each other to do that, the better off we all are. And that's yes. kind of like removing those bad gears in the future because – in removing rocks from our own path, sometimes we're removing rocks from others as well. Yes, very much, because the line is all connected as one. Exactly. And, you know, and again, being told how everything is interconnected just feeds the statement that we said before that everyone, there is one people. There are one people. There's one people. We are one people. <laughs> yes. And we're on one planet. And... I mean, the only differences we're talking about are you know, like a millimeter deep, our skin color, you know. Then, yes, we do have our cultures, but that's what, those differences we should be celebrating. Exactly. You know, if yep. we really want to be inclusive, if we really want to be as curious as we were as children, we'd be asking people, tell me about your holidays. And then they'll say, well, come over to my house on the holidays. We'll eat. We'll have mm -hmm. fun. Give you a present. Then you invite me to your house on your holiday, and we'll do the same thing. Well, why the hell isn't that been going on more. You know, instead, in an office lobby, it's like, well, because we don't want anybody to feel excluded, we can't have any decorations up. I'm saying, get all the boxes out and put them all up, and let's all come down here and talk about <laughs> holidays. That's what inclusivity is. Yeah, anyway. Yep, yep. No, I understand what you're saying, and that's, it's funny, I've been in the dance world for a long time, too, and always uh, enjoyed doing dance with other people, but the Within that world, people are so free. And what I mean by free is like one time we wanted to go up to this dance place that was in some other state. We didn't have any place to stay or, or live. And so these people that we knew that we danced with only one time met for an hour, gave us their house to use. They were gone. Yeah. And I'm saying through that. Uh, not to take, I'm not talking about cons or any, I'm just talking about sh how nice people could be and how respectful we have to be for giving a gift like that. You know? Sure. And that's the kind of op openness that you're trying to talk about, is what I'm trying to say. The sharing with each other and just be being there. Exactly. And like I said, you know, if you look at kids, they're naturally that way. Like if you if you went into a a shopping, you know, a big store like Kmart or something like that, and, and your kids on the toy aisle, you're going to come back, and there are going to be three other kids there, and they're all pulling toys out of boxes <laughs> and playing with them, and they're all from different countries, they're all speaking different languages, but they're having a blast. Where did where did that go? How do we lose that? Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's just 
the world gets sep- separated by the bad. That's what I want to say. It's yeah. the, the bad comes in, people get fearful, and then uh, our souls get blocked, like your soul was blocked with all those gears. Well, this is the thing. What you're talking about right there is a key point in my next book, and that's about <clears throat> within a mindset of duality, there's always going to be an enemy or a counterpoint. You know, instead of thinking and, we're thinking or. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop thinking or, and we do need to stop thinking and, start thinking and. And the sooner we do that, I think the sooner a lot of things will just naturally occur that improve things. Very much so, yes, yes. And Jim, I would love to have you come back on to talk about that book, um, if you would like. Let's do it, Richard. Okay, good, good. Let's, Let's close this show, and then we'll figure out a time that's good for you to come back. How's that sound? I look forward to it. And I just want to thank you for your time this evening and the time of those who listen to your show. It's been great. And I definitely look forward to the the next time. I hope everyone stays safe until then. Yes, very much so. Thank you, everybody. And God bless. That's right. You're tuned in to Paranormal UK Radio Network, a.k.a. PokeRadio.com, P-A-U-K Radio.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Richard Spazoff Show. For more episodes and information, join us online at PsychicMediumSpazoffShow.com or catch the show on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. The Richard Spazoff Show is a proud member of the HC Universal Network family of podcasts. For more great content and shows, visit hcuniversalnetwork.com or download our free HC Universal Network podcast app from your favorite device market. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And until next time, keep watching on the dark darkness. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.